So, welcome to episode 50. I am here with Madeline again. Wait, episode 50? Yeah, it's going to be episode 50. Oh my gosh, it's exciting. I special. I know, you were my first guest, so I figured I would bring you back. Um, also, because I see you, you know, way too much and yeah. more than any other guest I have on the show. So, I figured <laughs> I would bring you back and, you know, we could kind of just like leave off where we left off um, in our first episode, mm-hmm. which featured you and your life. So exciting. Yeah, so exciting. So I wanted to kind of focus this episode more so on everything that's been going on this school year with COVID and the issues of equity that arise um, for teachers and for students Mm -hmm. during this time, especially since you and I work in a Title I school district. So we have our own sort of issues that come along with that. So I figured we would talk to everybody about what it's been like this year. (laughs) And uh, things that we have learned from this year. Are we allowed to cry? Oh, of course you're allowed to cry. Absolutely. One thing I really like about this show is it's kind of like my therapy. I like listen to other people talk about their lives and then I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not the only one that has issues. So this is nice to know. Yeah, it makes you feel better about yourself that you're like not the only one. Exactly. In a hole. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So uh, we are actually coming up on, we actually were talking about this earlier. We're coming up on the anniversary of when our school shut down. Yeah. March 13th was our last day in person. So yeah. that's kind of crazy. And so I think I, I, if we start back there and kind of timeline this for everybody so they understand um, kind of where we're coming from, school shut down after March 13th of last year, so mm-hmm. it's 2020. The, the, the rate at which everything happened was um, – was incredible. So, like, I remember walking in that morning, that Friday morning, we had a stand-up meeting. Mm-hmm. And I think it was. And they were basically like, um, we're not sure yet, but you should probably um, start taking everything home like you're not going to come back to school. Yeah. And they said that the district is working on putting plans together for what virtual learning would look like. And they said to tell all our kids, um, actually it might've even been after the stand-up meeting, we all got an email that was like, tell your kids to bring everything home. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that band rehearsal. Um, I didn't, I didn't even unlock the band locker room to have kids with their instruments away. It's just like, nope, you're taking it with you. Yeah. Um, and I remember the kids were like pretty fearful that day. Um, but it was like, they were, they were coping with it by joking about it. They were just like, yeah. Oh, like, uh, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, And then like, actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was kind of funny because I was like, um, seeing videos that people were sharing on like social media from like last year. And one of the videos was like, yeah, so we're not going to have school right now. We're going to quarantine for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I like felt myself like laughing to myself because it was ended up being way more than two yeah. weeks. Kyle's brother's school shut down for a month. And that was the length of time that they started. With. And I remember being like a month. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just funny because like they were like they, they started off with saying that we were going to shut down for two weeks and like go into spring break. Mm-hmm. And then we just never came back. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I was kind of doomsday about it with my students. (laughs) Like, two weeks prior to us shutting down, I was telling them, I was like, you need to start bringing your instrument home every day. I was like, you know, we may not come back, like, tomorrow. Like, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you're taking it home. And they were all like, Miss Reed, we're not going to shut down. And then, like, a week later, we were shut down. Um, And, like, I guess for me, like, I was just personally scared because I am an immunocompromised person. Mm -hmm. I have type 1 diabetes. So I was terrified of the virus. I was terrified of getting it. Um, we have a lot of students whose parents do not have health insurance. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of students who um, don't have access to proper health care, who often parents send them to school anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, like I had one of my flute players was like, <laughs> it was just like a couple weeks before the school shut down. She's like, yeah, Miss Reed, like, she's like, um, can I go to the nurse? My fever, it was like 103 this morning, but my mom sent me to school anyway. And I'm sitting there going, Corona! Yeah. Like I was freaking out. Um, so I remember that happening. And so that was like my biggest concern was the fact that like our students really don't have access to those resources or parents don't have health insurance. And so like, they were just sending kids to school anyway. Um, I mean, they've been doing that since before the virus happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like, that was also, uh, 
a, a fear that I had when we opened back up in the fall mm-hmm. as well. Um, but we'll get to that. But so our school shut down. Uh, we went to 100% virtual learning for the rest of the year, which was like barely like any sort of learning because we didn't receive too much guidance as right. to what we were, should be doing. And so everybody was kind Not of like, students. yeah, so we were all kind of just like, we're going to try to do things. They were told early on that grades didn't matter. Yeah. And then I had my, my seventh and eighth grade band last year was around 52 kids. Mm-hmm. And like right in the thick of it, like April, May, um, I had my regular 10 kids showing up for my class. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even class. We met, we met twice a week. Yep. I, I, Two 30 minute Google meets. I gave them like dumb little music activities mm-hmm. to do at first because I was really stressing about providing things for them to do for my class mm-hmm. and then I would do like because I have a middle school group and a high school group I would do a weekly check-in with each of them mm-hmm. so I would just like sit in a google meet for like an hour and like mm-hmm. whoever showed up would show up we would hang out for a while um just to check in and see how they were doing and I just remember it was just so weird and all the kids were like super happy at first because they were like oh yeah we right. don't have to like do work or school and then as time drew on, like, when we got closer to, like, what would have been the end of the school year, like, June, everybody was already, like, done. Yeah. I remember one of my kids saying, um, one of the, like, very last Google meets, I was like, summer's here, like, that's so exciting, and, um, the warmer weather, and spending time outside, and she goes, she's, she's, what, 12 or 13, and she goes, I'm not excited for summer. Like, I'm not even excited for summer. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my god. Like, I lived for summer yeah. when I was that kid's age. Yeah, and it's because it's just no different. They couldn't see friends. No. And, yeah, what are you going to do? You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we had all that virtual learning, which was mm-hmm. absolute madness because nobody really knew what they were doing, and yeah. neither did the kids, honestly. Um, summer happened. I, yeah. What I had to do, so um, – Kyle and I are both music educators, um, and I I had to go live with my parents because I couldn't play instruments in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And Kyle, being a percussion teacher, has a lot of instruments that are very big that couldn't fit in our apartment, let alone he couldn't play them. So he had to go live with his parents, mm-hmm. and we were separated for quarantine. Um and, I mean, my parents are wonderful and lovely and all of that, but that wasn't fun at all. Yeah. Um, and I would, the amount of anxiety that I would feel, um, like a typical day for me would be during quarantine, I'd wake up, I would um, turn on my Peloton app. And I would do, like, a strength workout. I've never worked out in my life. And I was like, my goal for quarantine, I'm going to get a six-pack. I yeah. just didn't. I was trying to do yoga, yeah. and that was very short-lived. Yeah. Yes. Um, I worked out every day, but I didn't. Nothing happened to me. <laughs> um, and then I would eat breakfast, have coffee, and then I would get on and see my kids and mm-hmm. do some grading, teach some lessons for kids who signed up for them. Um, have so many meetings all the time yeah. with other teachers and administrators, try and get kids to participate mm-hmm. through phone calls or whatever, which was stressful because I had to use my own personal phone number. Yep. Um, and then, um, and then I would around like three o'clock, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'm done now. But there was no separation between work and home because everything was at home. And mm-hmm. that's that was something for me that was, like, that was pretty damaging, I think. Yeah. Because I'm someone who, do- <laughs> who doesn't – I just actually talked about this with my therapist. I, I have a hard time setting boundaries with. Yeah. With work. Work, yeah. Especially because, the same way. like, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have animals or anything like that. So all I have – to pour my life into is my job, and that's what I do, mm-hmm. um, and that's um, detrimental, I think, to my mental health. Not, I think, I know. Yeah. And so, in that time when there wasn't a lot of separation, 
it was very hard to have separation and set boundaries because everything was so immediate to you. Yeah. Um, so that was hard for me. So around like three o'clock, I was like, okay, I guess I'm done doing schoolwork now. Um, I would, I went on Amazon and I found these, um, variety puzzle books (laughs) and (laughs) because you would go to the store and they're all sold out. You couldn't find like crossword books or scope books or anything anywhere because I think everybody was having the same thought. Yeah. Um, so I bought like eight of them for 15 bucks and I was super stoked about that deal. I was like, guys, we got a huge deal on puzzle books. I'm super excited. And then I would sit, um, when the weather got warmer, I would sit out on like our front steps or on the back porch or patio or something and just like sit and do puzzles. Yeah. I couldn't sit and not keep my brain working or else it would like spiral and go yeah. to not good places. Yeah. So, um, but the scary thing is that's, that was the reality for so many people, um, or worse. Like I had it pretty good. Yeah. I, I remember thinking a lot about the kids that in, in hindsight, like thinking about it now, you know, we're like almost a year into this time now. Um, I thought about how quickly everything changed and how quickly people had to scramble and how mm-hmm. it could have been done so much better. Like, yeah. you know, we knew this virus was coming. People were acting like it wasn't coming. Mm-hmm. People were acting like, oh, we're, we're going to be fine, blah, 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 blah. And during all of that time when we were in denial, we could have been making sure that our students had internet. Yep. We could have been making, like, pre-planning, okay, this is how we're going to do that. We could have been giving the teachers the PD that they needed in yeah. order to, like... You and I are relatively young. Like, we know how Google works. Like, yeah. we can figure out Google Classroom by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, we're fine. Um, but We've already been using Google Classroom. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and, or, like, even how Google Meet works. Like, we could, like, figure that stuff out on our own. We don't really need help with that. But I know a lot of, like, my older teacher friends and people that taught in my building, like, you know, the only thing they'd been using online while they were teachers is, like, their email. Like, right. they've barely been using anything else. I mean, they obviously know how to, like, insert grades in infinite campus, but that was about it. And Mm -hmm. so like they were freaking out Mm -hmm. when this happened and there could have just been so much more planning that could have been done to like, make sure teachers felt confident, Mm -hmm. um, dealing with everything. There are so many students where their basic needs weren't met. Yeah. And that's like, that was the big focus with a bunch of the teacher meetings is like, especially with these kids that we were reaching out to that, um, we're just like that went radio silent. The biggest concern was like, do they have food? Are yep. they safe? Yep. You know, like do do they need anything from the school that we can provide them? Yeah. And it wasn't so much, are you participating in school? And I think that's also carried over to this school year too. Mm-hmm. Even though we're back in person, there's so many many kids that are all virtual that are also still radio silent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, home visits, all of that stuff. Yeah. So that was like my biggest worry like last spring was just like, are these kids like, do they have internet, things like that? And they just couldn't do go to school or do anything like that if they didn't have that access. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved into the summer and Madeline and I spent a lot of time <laughs> in meetings mm-hmm. about uh, reopening and what that was going to look like and things like that. And there was like massive debate over whether students should be, you know, coming back and playing their instruments or having a study hall or, you know, what, what would that look like? Would we have the PPE? Mm -hmm. Um, and through all those meetings, I was just sitting there thinking like other school districts don't really have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Um, other schools with, you know, more privileged kids and more privileged environments never have to worry about that. They're like, Oh, PPE, we're fine. We have this money. We're just going to go do it. Um, we I know can ask our families to have that. We can put this on our list of required materials. Yes. They can them. make sure they have a mask for the first day of school yeah. and things like that. And we, we can't do that in our school. And so it was very stressful, like trying to figure out how we're going to get this PPE. Um, are the kids going to be able to play if we can't get this PPE? What's going to happen? Like I know of like other school districts, they have like plexiglass around every desk yeah. and like around um, every area that the kid's going to be playing in and things like that. We we never even had those resources. So it was very stressful um, just being a relatively new teacher in the district. Like I was going into my second year there. Now I was going to her third year and just like sitting there and having to like have these conversations with people that have been there forever and like 
hold our ground and like state our opinion and be like, no, I think kids should be playing Mm -hmm. in school. Um, And my stance was that if every other subject area was going back and participating, then it looks really poor on Mm -hmm. the music program to not be participating in the school year if we could do it safely. Obviously, I, you know, was making sure that the kids were going to be safe first, but I was seeing, like, all these studies and all these other schools that were had these plans in place, and I was like, why are we doing that? Right. Um, I remember suggesting a plan to make it so that we wouldn't have 40 kids at a time in the mm-hmm. same room, um, and they had, they had already been, like, working on scheduling things and, like, okay, this is the perfect time to bring this up if they're just putting the schedule together now. We can advocate for this for kids' safety and to maintain the integrity of our programs because, quite honestly, not having students play in ensembles, that's, uh, like, kids aren't going to want to participate. That's going to take our numbers and and the program, and it's going to take a lot of years to try and build that back up. Also, not to mention what it says about the culture of our music department if, (laughs) like you said, if we're the only people that don't come back. Yeah, I think the the problem was we had, like, the battle of – you know, relatively new teachers that, you know, we, we haven't been really set in the routine of what to do and what the district is about yet. So we were more adaptable to like, try to figure out a new way of doing things versus the people that had been there for a while that have been like, so set in their ways. Like, this is how I do it every month, month by month. I'm going to get frustrated with how this year is going to be different. So I'm giving up. Mm-hmm. I think that or was kind of, worth it. yeah, like they were like burnout and they're like, whatever, I don't care. Um, I got four years left and I'm out. Yeah. Uh, whereas people like Madeline and I are looking at the longevity of things and we're looking at like, you know, we, we aren't part of a school district where inherently we have a huge music program, right. which is unfortunate considering how large our school district yeah. is. But in comparison to the student population, it's not that large. No. Um, it could be a lot larger. And so, like, we're thinking about, like, we're trying to grow mm-hmm. <laughs> a program. We're not trying to just maintain. Yeah. Um, so there was those issues. And then, you know, just trying to figure out, like, how how we're going to get PPE. Yeah. <laughs> Where is it going to come from? Who's going to pay for it? Um, all those things were, like, super challenging, especially when you're in a district that um, you don't have too much budget yeah. to work with yourself mm-hmm. um, anyway. When your building has so much construction on it that's <laughs> behind, when yeah. you don't have a space where you can play safely, yeah. what's, the, what's the alternative? Um, yeah, it's all it, – it's is consuming for the entire summer. Yeah, and, like, yeah, you were in even a worse spot than I was because – Madeline's building they were um redoing her entire auditorium so she didn't have a rehearsal space either that's normally where we would rehearse yeah and that's the largest space that we have um so there was that and also with the schedule the conflicting class times Mm -hmm. too yeah um but getting back to what I was saying about um the suggesting a plan that had less kids in the room at a time um it was like, like I've, in a, Cassidy, I feel like you, well, we've talked about it. Every suggestion that we made, every idea that we presented was like pretty much immediately shot down by two kinds of people. Mm-hmm. The first kind of person was the one that didn't want to work and wanted to just ride this out and, and took the easy way out, wanted to take the easy way out. Yeah. The second kind of person was the person that was super incredibly concerned about safety of themselves and the students where they were like nothing ignoring all the science nothing is safe we're all going to die like those two kinds of people were like prevalent in our music department like they were everywhere yeah yeah and I felt like those were the two big battles that we were fighting the entire time Mm -hmm. on top of everything that comes with being in a title one district with funds and um students and everything with that yeah so it was like we were like like swimming upstream or whatever. Like salmon swimming yeah. upstream, yeah. Yeah, the entire time. Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely felt that. And um, when you were mentioning the schedule, what our school decided to do was take um, our shorter, more frequent periods and move it to a four-period schedule. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have the kids for, like, 84 minutes, which is a problem in oh and of itself, God. which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but with that, they – they moved like my high school group to like that first giant block. Mm-hmm. And so I, I lost like 16 kids to yeah. my high school group to class conflicts. Um, and so that was really hard for me. Um, 
But we went to this whole schedule change where we had kids for like so much longer than we normally would. Um, and we got back to school and so one much of longer than we normally would, but still the guidelines told us that we could only play 30 minutes at a time. Yes. So we were trying to figure out, okay, like how are we going to do these rehearsals? If we can only play 30 minutes at a time, we have to see the kids for 84 minutes. Um, and then we had these like whole like 10 minute breaks that we had mm-hmm. to do mass breaks. Yes. Mass breaks, which were like really weird and, yeah. <laughs> um, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And we decided that, you know, we were going to have rehearsals in person. We had, you know, puppy pee pads and surgical masks. Um, bell covers. eventually we got bell covers. That's a whole other situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that happened and we decided to do lessons in, virtual, not in person, um, for most kids. There were some kids that, um, you know, were like group three kids because these kids were divided into different groups and our group Mm -hmm. three kids were like kids that are on an IEP or special ed. Yeah. Yeah, So they were there four days a week. So we had to teach some of those kids in person, but for the most part, we were doing virtual lessons. Um, for me, I was doing like one-on-one or like one with two people, Mm -hmm. um, for like 30 minutes at a time virtually. Because there was also the added pressure of, um, you know, if you're seeing a group of, when you think about middle school terms, mm-hmm. seeing a group of six alto saxophonists um, over Google Meet, they, in a lesson in person, don't want to play by themselves. Yep. Ever. Seeing them over Google Meet, they're not going to want to play by themselves either, especially after not playing for so long. Mm -hmm. You can't have them play all together at the same time because of the lag. Um, So that means that you have, you work with one-on-one or with super small groups of kids. Like for me, I put kids with their friends. So I know that like they'd be okay playing in front Mm -hmm. of their friends. Um, At the cost of, um, because of that, I could only see my kids for 20 minutes every other week. Yep. I see sixth grade one week. I see seventh and eighth grade the next week. 20-minute lessons. Um, and um, some, like, my percussion kids I see in person. So that's, like, somewhat normal. Yeah. Um, and I'm teaching during my supervisions, which is not allowed and I shouldn't be doing. But because of the way the schedule is set up, like, that's – I have to do it. Yeah, literally sitting in a study hall that I'm supervising teaching lessons online. Yeah. And that was like an issue that I ran into as well when I was trying to figure out the lesson thing um, where, you you know, you're talking about like you have issues with setting boundaries. I have the same problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I literally had to force myself to like make sure that I had some form of lunch or planning because otherwise I would go straight through Mm -hmm. um, no break. Mm -hmm. And that was like another issue that I came across was because of these 84 minute periods, I was taking up so much more of the day. So there wasn't as much time for lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like an issue we ran into. Rotating too with their class periods because (laughs) you don't want to piss the other teachers off. Right. And and I mean, rightfully so everyone's seeing their kids way less now. So, and so classroom teachers are under more pressure now more than ever. And like, no, they're not going to want to send, they never, well, they never have their full class there. Yeah. You know, I guess yeah. I'm speaking more like I grew up with my mom, who's a sixth grade math teacher. Like she is always incredibly supportive of the music program, obviously. Um, and she never once complained about, kids leaving for lessons but like I asked her I was like do you ever have like all of your kids there in class at one time she's like no never Mm -hmm. it's not just music lessons either it's like speech or um you know other supports or things like that too which is like another added stress it's just every decision that was made was at the expense of teachers Oh, for sure. And I mean, there's not just like equity issues with teachers, there's also equity issues with the students as well. Um, especially those that, you know, if you're in a hybrid model like we are, where they're half here and they're half not, or there are groups of kids that are 100% virtual, um, I never, I have, I have a bunch of kids that I haven't seen at all this yeah. year. I could not tell you what they look like. If they yeah. walked in my room right now, I'd be like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Um and I spent like the first two weeks of school just driving instruments to kids' houses mm-hmm. because so many kids didn't have instruments. Yeah. Um, 
our school, a lot of kids can't afford instruments, um, can't afford to rent them. So they rely on the school to provide them with instruments. We recently kind of sort of under the rug did away with <laughs> renting mm-hmm. or like charging kids to rent instruments, um, which has the positive of, yes, it's much more equitable for kids to be able to participate in instrumental ensembles. But the downside is we don't have the supply, right. um, especially the higher instruments. So like we're talking upper woodwinds, upper brass. I We don't have them because yeah. that hasn't been commonplace. The, the common practice has been that we have all the low instruments. Like I have a bunch of, like I have like freaking six bassoons. Do yeah. I have six bassoonists? No, but I have all these extra low instruments, but then I have kids come in who can't afford to run an instrument, but they play clarinet and now I don't have any clarinets. Mm-hmm. And why would a parent choose to have their child go to, you know, whatever instrument store and pay to rent the instrument for the year when they could go to get it to school for right. free. So it's not fair in that way. So like, it is a great idea if you have the supply. And so like right now we're really struggling. Um, my colleague Dave and I are trying to get people to donate instruments. He's been like shopping around on Craigslist yeah. and like eBay trying to get instruments. Just like even if they're just shitty like school instruments, like yeah. whatever. Um, it's an instrument that can be in his hand. Yeah, an 11 year old, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been trying to combat that that way. But it's just it's been really especially hard this year getting the kids the supplies they need and making sure that they show up. Yeah. Um, that has been the biggest thing for me and the most, um, I try to not take it personally as a teacher, right? Because I, I realize that my kids probably have a lot of issues going on at home. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, they don't have parents around cause the parents are working or whatnot to make sure that they're actively going mm-hmm. to class and things like that. They don't have that system of making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm trying really hard to not take that personally. But when I like go into a class and I have my kids on Google Meet and only half of them are there Mm -hmm. that are supposed to be there, it's really stressful. It's really Mm -hmm. frustrating. And it's really hard for me to not take that personally and be like, this is something that I did. Yeah. When it's totally not. But still, it's like very disheartening to see that for sure. Yeah. Not to mention the worry, too. About those kids. Yeah. Like, I remember... I remember very clearly this happened, like, a month ago. Um, this was before our Google Meet um, had the feature where if you end the Google Meet, it just ends it for everybody. So you literally have to stand there and be, like, calling out kids by name. Like, hey, it's time to go to your next class now. Leave mm-hmm. the meet, please, because you can't leave it open because then it's, like, an unsupervised class and the kids can get back in and whatever. So Yeah, all these rules. Yeah. So I was about to teach some lessons and I use like this name Google Meet link for lessons that I do for class. And there was a kid that was like still in the meet. <laughs> and I was like, um, I was like, Hey, and he wasn't answering me. Like he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't come off me. He wasn't answering me. It was just this picture there. And I was freaking out. Like, Oh my God, something happened to this kid. He's not answering me. He's not, it's, it was like an hour mm-hmm. he stayed on after the meet, after the class ended. So I know that he's not in his next class. Yeah. Um, and I was freaking out. So I called his mom and I was like, um, I was like, so and so still in the meet. Like he's, I, I don't know. If, like, are you home? Can you check on him? I don't know what happened. And she, she's like, I'm not home right now. I'll call him. Um, he had two devices. He had his personal laptop and his Chromebook and he had kept the meet open on one device and was in his other class on the other device. But I had a heart attack thinking, oh, my God, this kid fell out of his chair and his skull is cracked open. Yeah. Or someone came in or whatever. Yeah. But, like, you don't, you have no idea what goes on. In oh, yeah. And, and they never turn their cameras on. Right. Um, they're not responsive. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, one of my colleagues in my building, he always makes sure if, if a student has their camera off, he, like, will ask them a question during the mm-hmm. class, like, see if they're participating. He'll yeah. be like... Uh, hey, James, can you tell me what's going on at Measure 52 or something like that? And then he'll get no response. And then he knows the kid's not actually in the meet. Um, which I, I started being like super, started off the year being super anal about kids being there, kids having their cameras on, kids participating. And they were doing a really, really good job of that. And then as the year has gone on, they're becoming more burnout. Mm -hmm. 
I'm becoming more, I am burnout. I am like, I am June teacher and I was June teacher in January. I was after winter break happened. I was like, I'm done. Um, and so I'm not as particular about that, but I have found ways to make sure that the students are still learning what they need to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, without having those requirements, like they have opportunities for asynchronous learning. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, um, and, and some of my kids, like, they're on and their cameras are off, and but they're still participating. Yeah. Like, if they will answer a question, yeah. like I'll be like talking about something in class, and all of a sudden they'll pop in or put something in the yeah. chat, and I'm like, oh, they're actually there. That's yeah. great. Um, so, and I, I have the unique perspective of because I'm a graduate student during the pandemic. I've now completed seventy five percent of my master's degree online. Ooh, you're <laughs> on both sides. Yeah, so I get it. Like mm-hmm. I get the sometimes you want to turn your camera off and like go get a snack and not like be like eating in front of a camera yeah. or like <laughs> taking drinking water or whatever. And I get it. There's always going to be those kids that just hop on to like play Xbox and not actually like participate in school. Right. Um, but I found that those kids that are like that are the kids that have a bad grade in my class anyway. So there's no sense in me like getting on them and requiring them to be there because I'm like, you know what? They're not doing their assignments anyway. And you're not, if they're doing that in bands, they're doing that in every Every class. class. So I was like, you know what? It's not worth it to like tamper that relationship with that student over something like that. At At that point you have to consider the delicate balance between maintaining relationships and, um, you know, if I constantly on this kid and call their parents and talk to them about grades and everything, they're mm-hmm. just going to drop my class. And then that relationship is done. It's over. Yes. Um, and what's, what's the priority at that point? Yeah. And so like for me recently, I've had the kids like record themselves, like playing their part mm-hmm. for a piece on Flipgrid, like with the band accompaniment in their ears and little headphones and they record their part. And then that's my, my way of like checking in to be like, Oh yeah, this kid has to be participating in rehearsals mm-hmm. because otherwise they wouldn't know what to yeah. play. I do practice logs. What band piece did you practice? Where did you practice? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like ways that I'm like trying to make sure that the kids are still like learning and still doing the thing. And also like, that lesson time, I feel like even though it sucks because it's virtual, it's so precious mm-hmm. because those kids that are virtual 100% of the time, I don't hear them play in band because yeah. they have to keep their microphone muted. So then when they have a lesson with me, I'm like, yes, I can finally hear yeah. this child and I can actually like kind of help them. Now, yeah. it's not as good as like if I were physically there in person and could like move their hands right. over or like tell them to, you need to put your finger in a Time different to spot. Trying to and diagnose embouchures problems yeah. is then impossible. impossible. So, um, it, it is helpful though, to have that lesson time though. And I'm glad we decided that we were still going to do lessons this year because that's the only time I'm hearing some of these kids. Um, but the kids that are doing nothing, those are the kids that are just, I, I've, I've kind of, this may sound like shitty of me, but I've just kind of given up on like Mm -hmm. hounding them every day to try to get them to come to my class or get them to come to school. I still, um, send, you know, I still contact parents. I still send emails. I do those things. Um, not as frequently as I did the beginning of the year, but I still try to do it a few times a quarter. Um, usually I do like before five week grades Mm -hmm. and then before the end of the quarter, I'm like trying to like get a hold of these people. And it's just hard. It's hard. A lot of these parents are working. They're burnout. Yeah. They're so burnout. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times nobody's home during the school day. Mm-hmm. Um to like be there and make sure that their kids are doing what they yeah. need to do. And that's not a diss on the parents because these parents are trying to put food on the table. Right. Which is another thing that, you know, people who are working in another area may not have to deal with mm-hmm. as frequently as we do. Or they don't answer their phone because they work nights. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of issues with kids right now um that are working when they should yeah. be in school, which is technically illegal. Um and we also have a lot of issues with older siblings who are now responsible with taking mm-hmm. care of their four or five younger siblings mm-hmm. while their parents are at work or parent guardian, whoever. I had, a, I had a student who's in eighth grade and she was taking care of her three younger siblings and she would have to make all meals for them yeah. every day. So for me, this year, something that I've learned is um, – I'm usually a teacher that carries very high expectations for my students and I yeah. push them really hard. And that's what I do. Um, not in like an, in, in a mean way or anything. I just hold them to very high expectations and they, they respect that, I think. Mm-hmm. But this year it's been not really about improving their skills so much as just like 
keeping everybody afloat, right? Yeah. Like maintaining that. Um, so for me, I've just had to learn to let go of certain things mm-hmm. and like not think that I was going to get, you know, move mountains this year. Just yeah. not what wasn't going to happen. Um, some kids have definitely improved a lot anyway, just from being around and being in school and yeah. playing their instrument somewhat. But like I did not, I, I took my expectations and I definitely lowered them this mm-hmm. year because there are bigger fish to fry yeah. this year with a lot of these kids. There's yeah. just, there's too many things going on at home. There's too many things that they're having to deal with that for me to be like, music is the most important thing in your yeah. life right now is a lie. Yeah. It's not. And that's unfair to everybody. Involved. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's unfair to me to like mm-hmm. put that pressure on myself. It's yep. unfair to the kids to put that pressure on them. It's their parents are stressed out. Yeah. I, I feel Really bad for a lot of parents out there that are trying to work full-time and make sure that their kids go to school. I can't even imagine yeah. being a parent of, like, three children who are online some days and are in school other days. Yeah. Like, I also can't imagine being a kid. Just being on your laptop all day long. Yeah. Sitting and trying to do schoolwork. Like, what I was talking about when, you know, we were all quarantined. And I was having a hard time setting boundaries and having separation. You know, I was talking to some of my seventh grade, some of my seventh graders. And I was like, what's the hardest thing about virtual learning right now and being home and being online? And they said, I sit on my computer all day and do work. And then I close the last Google Meet and I do more work. And that's my life. And they're 12. Yeah. I know if a, a lot of my kids have told me that they have more work this year than they did yeah. last year. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I like, I definitely know I'm, a, I'm having them do less. Um, oh yeah. But I just, I just don't understand why. I mean, like I, I, I if I'm looking at it from a devil's advocate standpoint, mm-hmm. Because they decided to not get rid of testing this year, I think a who lot of who decided that. I don't know the I state, kill them. the state, the nation. I don't know who it was, but they're not. They're still doing right. They're still doing like region yeah. testing and stuff this year. So if I were a teacher in that subject area, I would feel extremely stressed mm-hmm. right now because not only are these kids like half a year behind from the spring. Mm-hmm. They're also basically a full year behind mm-hmm. now. And now they're having to do the regents t- course or regents assessment for the class that they're in right now. Yep. And they haven't learned fully learned the content from the year before. And so I was talking to some of my students about that. They were like complaining about all the work they have to do. And I was like, here's, here's what I'm thinking that this might be from. And mm-hmm. I try to like talk to them about it from like a realist standpoint. Like your teachers might be just assigning you this work because they want you to pass your regents yeah. exams and they're probably worried. Um, and that's, that's just a major issue with testing in general mm-hmm. is that um, not so much for music because our job isn't super reliant on yeah. how kids do on state testing, but for other subjects, like if you're a math teacher, sometimes half of your evaluation is yeah. how well your kids do on a Regents exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like not only a reflection of your kids, but it's a reflection of you. To, so to put that pressure on teachers mm-hmm. is so unnecessary, especially this year. And I remember we were in a meeting the other day, um, and Ooh. this certain certain individual who is um, somewhat in charge of us now, um, she <laughs> she said, oh, they, they decided to do testing again. I'm just so happy about it. I don't think you were at this meeting. This I is like the, the most recent one. She had said that she was so happy that they brought testing back. She's like, I'm just thanking God that they like, and everybody was just dead silent on the meeting because like obviously we all completely disagree with her. But she's an administrative person. Yeah. Like I don't think she understands um, the ramifications of going back to like quote unquote normal testing yeah. in a completely abnormal school year. If a global pandemic equitable. isn't something that's going to stop the state testing, then nothing will. <laughs> like what the hell? Is that's that so not true. enough? That's not yeah. enough. No, clearly. it's not enough. It's not enough that students' family members are dying from a yeah. disease that we have no control over. Yep. What? It blows my mind. Yeah. That really? Ugh. That's gross. I think I think the issue is there was so much panic and paranoia for so long. There's only so much. Um, we talk about this a lot in like psychology and things like that, like the fight, fight or flight response, right? There's only so much of that fight or flight response 
that your body can handle oh, at yeah. once, right? So I think what has happened is there was so much stress and paranoia last spring. And then the stress and paranoia came back in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I think we've grown so accustomed to living the way we have been living, living mm-hmm. with the stress, living with this nervousness, living with this fear that we've become numb to it. Yeah. I think we've become a little too desensitized to mm-hmm. it. Um, it's kind of like when you turn on the news and like something shocking happens and you're just kind of like, eh. Yeah. Because so many terrible things had had, had happened in, in recent years. Yeah. Like, for people like my grandparents, they're, like, shocked when certain things happen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Like, I, I don't even find myself, like, having, any kind of having the same yeah. yeah, having the same reaction that they would. And I think that this is what's happened is, like, we've become so desensitized to the virus and to everything that's going on. Like, we have half a million deaths in our country. Yeah. There's, no, there's no panic. There's no paranoia. There's no, like fear there are people that still think it's not real and like craziness like that right and so i think we've just become so desensitized that now they're like oh yeah we can bring back state testing it's fine yeah everything's fine people are so removed from the initial fear and the initial reaction Mm -hmm. that was at the very beginning of this well i think also there's a part of it in education specifically and there's always been this where there's too much of a separation between the people in charge and people who are um, like, in the classrooms. Yeah. You know, like, and we see this on a smaller scale in our own district. Our district is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the administrative team, the superintendent's cabinet, and everybody, everybody in district office. I mean, sure, they were probably all teachers at one point. Yeah. Um, maybe. Maybe. But, like, they, they don't see the day-to-day of what our job actually is. Mm-hmm. And how, 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 how? Mm-hmm. But I think as much as this year has sucked, it's still sucking. Um, yeah. I think the one thing that I learned is that my life is not my job and that I need to start separating the two things. Um, yeah. And that's been really, really hard for me because, like, yeah. you were saying, like, you know, we're not married. We don't have children. Mm-hmm. We don't have, like, a house yet. Mm-hmm. Like, um that's, you know, we, the, the biggest thing we do in a day mm-hmm. is we go to work, right? Yeah. Like we don't, when we come home, it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, there's nothing separating that. And I'm actually jealous of like a lot of teachers that do have families at home. Cause like yeah. as much as that might cause stress like that, at least that when they walk into the door, their dad or their mom, they're not Miss Merzio or Miss yeah. Reed, like they're separating their identities a little bit. Yeah. And like for, for me, that's something that I've, struggled with a lot but I'm slowly coming to realize that like when I'm home I need to stop thinking Mm -hmm. about work yeah I need to not answer emails I need to and and it's hard especially this year when everything's so virtual like I want to like answer that kid's email Mm -hmm. like whatever but I've I've been trying to separate those things as best as I can and I'm trying to learn from that yeah um the setting boundaries thing is really hard for me because I'm not good at holding myself accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my last session with my therapist, we were talking about that and, um, and she was like, okay. I, Cause I told her, I was like, I won't hold myself accountable. She's, she, she's, we set a goal where I'm going to leave school by 4 PM. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was like, okay, like, can you hold yourself accountable to that? Can you be the one to control that? I said, no, I can't. I can't. I'm not the one that's going to be able to do that. She said, okay, do you have people around you that can help you with this and hold you accountable to doing that? And I said, yeah, I have, I have wonderful colleagues that could do that already. <laughs> yeah. And scream into my office, go home. Yeah. But, um, uh, so, and then my teacher brain started. I was like, I could, you know, she was like, <laughs> she was like, when you fail, not if, but when you fail, um, how are you going to not beat yourself up about it? Um, and I said, well, maybe I have to start even smaller and give myself some allowances. You know, three days a month, I can go home past four o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will allow me to prioritize my time too. If I know I have like a big project or grades due or 
we're starting something new in class or something like that, I can choose that day to stay a little bit later. Yeah. And then my teacher brain started, and I was like, I can make coupons. So I'm literally... (laughs) I'm literally making coupons for myself to use when I need to stay past 4 o'clock. And my colleagues, God bless them, they're amazing, are the keepers of these coupons. I have three of them. I'm giving them to three of my colleagues. And uh, and they are the keepers of my coupons. And that's hysterical. I know. I love it. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. See, Madeline, this is why you need to get a dog. Because... I do! For me, last year, I was lucky if I left the building before 5 o'clock. Me, yeah, me too. Same. Um, I, was, I was just going to say me same. Me same. <laughs> um, I was, like, leaving when the sun was going down. Like, yep. Like, it was, you like, starting when the dark. sun's down, you leave when the sun's Exactly. Down. So, so I was there, like, all the time. Um... Till like five. Um, and then this year has been very different because I have to go home and let my puppies out. And like, that's like the thing that's like making me have to go home. Mm-hmm. So I need to be home before four o'clock or they're going to like pee on the floor. Right. So that's like my incentive. Like, yeah. so like your coupons, I got like, I got to go yeah. home and let puppies coupons out. So and it's, it's not for me. And like, it's kind of funny because like my colleague Dave is the same way as we are. Like if he... <laughs> He will stay. He has to get to school early. So contractually, he can leave an hour before I do. But he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he stays later than me now because I'm like, oh, I got to go let my dog out. And I'm like leaving at like 3, 3.30. And he's still there. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got to stay. I got work to do. And I'm like, Dave. And I'm like, I'm trying to be like your colleagues are too and like just drag his ass out the door because he will stay. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to work at 6.30 the next Mm -hmm. morning. So he's like not um, home. And yeah. I'm just like seeing myself last year in mm-hmm. him. And I'm like, dude, we got to go. Yeah. Um, because this is his first year in the building. So I'm like trying to get him to get out. Yeah. Um, it's so hard yeah. though, because like we're both Virgos. So we understand yes. the, the level at which we need to be prepared. And mm-hmm. it's an insane, unreachable level. of Well, that, and that, and, um, you and I are also like very organized people and yeah. we're very methodical in how we think and we approach things. Yes. Um, and we like to be perfectionists and Uber prepared Yeah. and, you know, analyze and like figure out every little thing that's going to happen. Prepare for every possible scenario so that yeah. we aren't for lack of a better phrase, call their hands down. Yes. Like, so we're always prepared in that yeah. way. Like we're always ready to go, but at the same time, like at what cost? Right. It's a big cost. Yes. I'm learning. <laughs> um, so that's what we've learned. I told Kyle this morning, I was like, I feel like I'm taking years off my life mm-hmm. with the way that I'm living right now. I don't yeah. want to do that. And I told my therapist too, I want, I'm so envious of those people that have effortless, joyful lives. Like yeah. you look at them and they're just happy and joyful. It's like, yeah. I want that. Yeah. And that's only going to happen if I can set boundaries for myself and realize that work is not life. And, um, and I'm excited about the prospect of exploring things that I enjoy. Because I don't know what I like. For so long, I spent hours in a practice room by myself. And yeah. I don't have hobbies. No. I don't know what I like. And I, there was that Instagram post that I sent you that was like, Virgos need a healthy outlet for perfectionism. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. I need something like that. Yeah, and you bring up the hobby point. That's such a good point. Um we've we have spent so much of our life in a practice room in Mm -hmm. one building um and so our life is music and that's that's one of the things that when I was in high school one of the greatest pieces of advice I got was from one of my all-state conductors and someone asked like advice for majoring in music and making that decision Mm -hmm. and he said you better not want to do anything else yeah because that's all you're going to be doing he said if you have an inkling of an interest to do something else don't go to music school um, because that's what you're going to be doing 24-7. Other majors don't really have that issue. And that's mm-hmm. not me just, like, making the assumption. I know plenty of people that yes. have majored <laughs> in other things. Like, my brother's physical therapy major, he has other outlets. Yeah. When he's in class, he's in class. When he's not in class, he's not thinking about this yeah. physical therapy unless he's studying, right? Mm-hmm. He's running. He is a three-season runner. He has ways of getting out his stress. Mm-hmm. You know, he hangs out with his friends. He does this, like, not so much this year. Obviously, this year's just sucked for everybody. But he yeah. has things that he likes to do. Um, I feel like for us at musical, music school, hanging out with our friends was 
playing in chamber ensemble and hanging out. Yes, like, practicing, practicing together. together. Um, How it, sick is it that? Was all, it was all around music all the time because we were so stressed um, about having to get to the next thing and the next goal and what's next, what's next, what's next. And that's like even um, a point of anxiety I find with myself right now is I got the job, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and I'm still internally going, what's next? Yeah. Yes. I, I don't feel done. I yeah. don't feel satisfied. And I think – and I talk about this actually a lot on the podcast with a lot of performance people because like they get the job, like the orchestra job, military band, whatever, yeah. and they still don't feel satisfied, mm-hmm. even though this is the moment that they've worked up for their yeah. whole life. And now they're like, oh, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. No, I can't be done. Yeah. Um, and You're so training your brain to think in that way. Yes. Um, and we talk about this in therapy too. Um, <laughs> everyone should go to therapy. Um, yes. But, and, and she, and she says that she sees that a lot with um, other artists too. Yeah. Who partake in other art forms. Um, but it's also like a super, for a long time, it's a super solitary thing too. Yes. And when you, all you have to listen to is yourself and you're trained to, you know, the goal is to be able to be um, an independent practicer um, who can diagnose problems, plan a way to um, get better, and then carry out that plan mm-hmm. um and that's it can be and not can be it is damaging when you know what you train for is to be able to sit in a room and tell yourself everything that you're doing wrong yep that's all you do yep you sit in a room by yourself you play something you listen to it you figure out what you don't like and then you move on and all you do is tell yourself everything you're doing wrong yeah. for years of your life. And it's toxic. It's incredibly toxic. And I remember I went to a summer thing. Um, it was the American Saxophone Academy at Eastman. It was like my junior, after my junior senior year. Um, and Carrie Kaufman, who I adore, um, she asked me in a lesson, she's like, what's something you do good? Like, what's something you do well? Or, like, I played something, and she was like, what did you like? And I couldn't tell her. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell her what I liked about my playing or what I liked about that excerpt that I just played. I was, like, lost for words. And, uh, and from that moment, I was like, wow, maybe I gotta, like, change some things. Then you go to grad school for performance and you spend even more time in a practice room. I like spend 10 hours a day playing four hours or more in a practice room by yourself. And not just that, but like by yourself, but also comparing yourself to others. Yeah. Um, which is also really toxic and damaging. But, um, you know, I felt more, I felt more like that. Um, when I was in my undergrad than mm-hmm. when I was at Michigan State. And I think it's because the saxophone studio there was some of the most um, incredibly supportive and genuinely nice people that I've yeah. met in the music industry. Um, where, you know, we would go into each other's practice rooms and be like, hey, let me help you with this. Mm-hmm. And, and I never experienced that before. So I was really lucky to have that experience. But, you know, still... Man, solitary life, telling yourself everything you're doing wrong, that's, gets a bit scary sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's, we, we also inherently have the ability of, like, telling other people what they're doing well, but we can't mm-hmm. tell ourselves what we're doing well, mm-hmm. even if, you know, we're at the same level, or, like, you may even play better than somebody else, yeah. but, like, you can tell that person, oh, all this went well, so well, good yeah. for you, and then you're like, oh, I suck. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard. And I think that's like one of the reasons why I like teaching so much is that it's not about me. So Mm -hmm. I'm not like a person that has to like shit on myself all the time. Um, and I'm not exactly being encouraging to myself either, which I need to be better about, but like, I'm also just like helping others all the time. So I can kind of like deflect all the issues that I have like Mm -hmm. with myself because it's always about other people. Right. And you and I were talking about like how there's, there's little, external reward in teaching um 
Zero and, instant gratification. Yeah, and it's hard to feel fulfilled in certain ways, but in other ways, you're you're helping people all the mm-hmm. time. And so that's like the benefit is there, but then there isn't an, an ego benefit. Right. Like people like hear the word ego and they automatically think, oh, you're a selfish person who like mm-hmm. thinks really full of themselves. But everybody has an ego. Yeah. Everybody has an internal person that they also need to protect. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it's it's been really hard to be able to take care of myself and mm-hmm. take care of my ego and take care of how I view myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's self-compassion. Exactly. And so I think that's one of the issues with teaching is that there's, there's really no opportunity to do that. Yeah. Unless you're a, a selfish educator. And then I guess it's always <laughs> it about exists. you. Yes. And then I guess it's always about you, yeah. but in being in a profession where you're giving all the time, and, and this is a problem that's across the board, not even education, but any sort of service industry. Mm-hmm. And it, when it's never about you, it's very hard to take care of yourself and find the time to do that. And then that's where that like self-deprecation mm-hmm. comes in too. And usually the people that are the best at their job, like feel the worst about themselves. Yeah. Because, you know, like we talked about training your brain, you train your brain so hard to do one thing and do it really, really super well. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, sure, you do your job really well, but at the cost of your own sanity and mental health. And it's really hard for people who are like that to understand that, yeah, you know, you do need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it may need to come, you may need to steal stuff from, you know, you doing your job well. It may, the balance needs, you know, you need to take part of this and put it over here so your job might suffer the tiniest bit for you to be able to take care of yourself like yeah you may feel a little bit less prepared on Monday but you got home on Friday when the sun was still out and you got to enjoy some sunshine and is it actually being unprepared or are you just so used to over preparing Mm -hmm. and worrying that it's actually like you're just as prepared as you would have been. Right. Right. That's something that I've learned. Like last year I, you know, I would spend hours score studying lesson planning, blah, 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 blah. And then this year I'm like, I obviously think about what I'm going to do before I go in. But the nice thing about music and and a rehearsal setting and instrumental setting is that a lot of it is so spontaneous Mm -hmm. too. Like you have to like, think on your feet anyway. So it's really hard to plan for yeah. a rehearsal. Like you plans for observations. So like, it's like, I might do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like in trying to explain that to administrators, yeah, a, whole, right. a whole other <laughs> ball game, but um, it's, you can plan somewhat. And then there's another aspect of, of not planning and just being able to be a good musician and like fix things. But um for me, I, I think last year I was just over planning and I was just stressing myself out for no reason because I don't do nearly as much planning this year and I just feel so much better. Yeah. And um, also just in, in doing the less planning, you're actually like making it better for your students because sometimes I'll like, it's usually a Monday. <laughs> I will go in and be like, what do you all want to start with? Yeah. Oh my God. What? And the kids are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, what, what do you want to start with? What piece do you want to work on? They're like, oh. Uh, I, I think we should work on this one. And sometimes the kids are like, they have like real reasons for how they want to work on it. Like Ms. Reed, like we really need help with this piece. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Um, or they just really want to play a piece. But, um, in in me not over planning, I'm able to actually like have the kids run the rehearsal a little bit, especially my high schoolers. Um, and, and I started doing this with my middle schoolers. I gave them all a sheet of paper Mm -hmm. and I said, we're going to work on this section in this piece. And I want to see pencils working. I want you writing down anything that you hear that needs fixing. Mm. Because then that way it's like training the kids to actually use their ears and mm-hmm. hear things that are wrong and actually make mental note of, hey, that's a section I need to work on. Um, and, you know, they'll bring it up. They'll be like, okay, I'll stop. And I'll be like, okay, what did you hear? Mm-hmm. And if nobody can come up with anything, I, I come up with something. I'm like, well, I know you need to work on this, this, yeah. this, this. So let's do it. <laughs> but um, I let them take the initiative first. And usually they identify probably about 75 to 80% of the things that I heard. Right. Because they're not, they're not unaware of what's mm-hmm. going on. It's that sometimes they're just not actively paying attention. Right. Because um, someone's going to tell them the answer. Exactly. So they're so used to that that it's like whatever. And so like I've been doing that a lot this year, especially with like my smaller groups because I don't have my full ensembles anymore. Um, and that's been actually really helpful. And, and then it, it, it keeps me from over planning because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do what they want to do today. Right. And they love that. So um, that's what I've been doing. That's been really helpful. So if anybody is like looking for different strategies to use, I would definitely um, try that one. I'm gonna. 
You're gonna. Yeah, you're, gonna you're gonna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you also like brought up the point of like hobbies and like. I don't have any hobbies outside of music either. Zero. No. When I was a kid, I used to do so much. Oh. I was like, I was, I played softball. I played tennis. I did karate. I was reading all the time. Yeah. I loved going outside. I, I made friendship bracelets. Yeah, like I used to draw all the time. Like I was in AP art in high school. Yeah. I haven't picked up a pencil and drew. Like I used to be really freaking good too. Yeah. I haven't picked up and drew anything or draw, drawn, drew, draw, whatever, whatever the word We're is. We're teachers. It's fine. Um, I have not picked up a pencil and actually like drew anything since I graduated high school. And that's like kind of painful for me to think about that because of, I put together like an AP portfolio. I had 24 pieces by the end of my senior year. Did you say you were were gonna either go for art education or music education? I applied to some schools for both and I got in in both. And I could have like double majored in it, which would have been, oh, very stressful. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I didn't do that. (laughs) But, um, just things like that. I was like, I used to love so many things and have like a foot in so many mm-hmm. things. And then music school, as much as it was great and I met great people and I got to have all these experiences sucked the life out mm-hmm. of that. And then I at graduate school right now and that sucked the life out of that. And mm-hmm. my full-time teaching job has sucked the life out mm-hmm. of that as much as I love teaching. It has sucked the life out of who I am as a person Mm -hmm. not just a musician Mm -hmm. um like I I feel like people often forget that like we're humans first before Mm -hmm. we are musicians yeah that's there's there's a separate thing there like I have a personality besides my instrument um and so like yeah that's one of the it's so sad too because like when I'm interviewing for a job or something like that that's one of the most nerve-wracking questions I get yeah what are your hobbies uh (laughs) not not um not anything that has to do with the music profession. If you ask me any question about, oh, how classroom management, blah, 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 blah. How are you diversifying repertoire? Blah, 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 blah. How yeah. are you individualizing instruction? All those go-to things they always ask yeah. me in interviews. I'm fine with that. I'll go off. Like, yeah. I'll, like, talk. But when they go, like, oh, so, like, what do you do besides yeah. music? Like, do you have any hobbies? Do you have anything? Like, I'm, like, uh. And now I'm realizing, like, just in this moment, in this podcast interview right now I'm just realizing realizing why they asked that question is because they want to make sure that you don't become a, sh- a shell of a human being well that and, and and they're probably trying to get to know you more and like try to like find out who you are as a person too and like yeah. make sure you're not like a freaking psycho or some shit yeah. but at the same time I'm sitting there like um <laughs> I was I cook dinner I uh I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what I can say now. Yeah. And then I can just go off on a tangent about that. But, like, I occasionally pick up a book and I may may read a few chapters of it and then forget about it. quote, unquote, book club with one of my colleagues who's been waiting for me to finish the Da Vinci Code for, I think, two months. So... Yeah. I'm sorry, Christian. <laughs> Aw. Um, yeah. yeah, I play with my dog. That's, that's my hobby. That's yeah. it. Yeah, but it's so weird to think about because, like, you think about, like, all the shit you used to do as a kid mm-hmm. and how involved you were in everything, and yeah. then now you're like, is this what being an adult's like? Yeah. I don't want to do it. Right. Take me back. <laughs> I don't want to. Don't make me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy for sure. Yeah. But – yeah. We have a light at the end of the tunnel, at least. Do we? So that's good. I, I, I hope we do. What is We're it? both doubly vaccinated. True. We are currently sitting together in my apartment, but we are both doubly vaccinated. Yes. And we're across my kitchen table, but it's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's really fine. Yeah. So we're done. It's not that bad. Go get vaccinated. Yeah, it's not bad at all. I was really sick for two days, but I survived, so you can all survive. It's fine. I was not that sick for a day. It's better than corona. Yes. Yeah. I was terrified of getting corona for so long. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to next school year. Mm-hmm. I think it will be better. I think it will be too. I think it will be so much better. Yeah. We just got to like, I was talking to my colleague again, Dave. I keep bringing up Dave. Dave, you're listening. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Um, I feel like it's, it's treading water. Mm-hmm. It's like keeping your head above the water mm-hmm. and trying to keep as many of your kids' heads yeah. above the water at the same time. It's exhausting. And just getting through it, yeah. as exhausting as it is. And we have a few months left. We're yeah. in the third quarter. Yeah. 
It was 60 degrees on, like, Thursday. Oh, my gosh. I know I have seasonal depression. This isn't me, like, this isn't me, like, um, clinically diagnosing myself with anything, but um, I'm pretty sure I do because I was in such a hole, especially this winter. This winter was awful because of all the stress that was been going on and then the weather. And then... When we had that one day where it hit 60 degrees, mm-hmm. I was like, everything is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. I'm going to clean my whole apartment. I'm going to, like, water my plants. Yeah. I'm going to take outside. my dog for a walk. Yeah. yeah, I was amped. I was like, everything is great. Even though everything is shit, I'm yeah. still going to be like, everything is great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's that's helpful. this morning. And, yeah, now we're back into... It's, it's fake spring. It's not real spring. Yeah. Rochester, New York, fake spring. It's just not a thing. Well. Yeah. But, yes, if anybody listening is stressed like we are, know that you are not alone. Yeah. Because I feel like everybody feels the same way. And if anyone wants to talk, let me know. Hit us up. Thanks, Madeline. You're Thanks, awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having me back. Yes, this was a good conversation. Yeah. We touched on a lot of things. Yeah. I'm sweating. Ha, 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 ha.